Welcome to Evangel Church, where we believe in seeing changed lives changing lives. Welcome to Evangel Church this morning. My name is Pastor Chris. If you're new here, now's the time where we're going to come to God's Word. And I believe God has a word in season for us today. I believe God wants to speak to you and to me. Um, and before we get into God's Word, I wanted to just share about an experience that I've had. Actually, it's been a recurring experience over the last few weeks. I've attended to a few funerals that have happened from those that are connected to our body. And they've each been similar in this way. It's been a spouse that's lost their significant other, their husband or their wife, the one that they've spent the majority of their life walking this journey and serving the Lord with together. And you can do a lot of funerals. You can be a part of a lot of times of loss, but each time you recognize the depth of the grief that's felt from someone who's just lost the one that they've walked this life with. And if you haven't heard the news um, just since our last Sunday, one of the dear members of our body, Fran Slugai, went to be with the Lord. If you didn't know Fran, she used to attend here, but after a while, she had some health complications that kept her from being able to be here. Anytime she could come and worship the Lord, it was a blessing. It was a privilege for her and her husband, Joe, to be able to come. But just this last week, she had some complications with her health, and now she's in the presence of our Lord. And I'm so thankful that although we grieve on this side, that there's such joy because in God's presence, there's no more tears, no more pain, no more sickness, no more disease. Uh, she's in the presence of her Savior. But as we come to this place tonight, was in a funeral home taking part in a service just on Friday. Just a handful of friends as the snow is falling. And to hear her husband Joe, 44 years, speak so tenderly about his wife, about how much she loved him and he loved her, but how even more than he loved, she loved him, she loved the Lord. But it, for Joe, I, I also recognize in the conversations that were happening, the thing that, that the person that loses someone, even if they're in Christ, even if they know the Lord and they have the hope of heaven and the hope of eternity to once see them again, the, the loss that's so painful, do you know what it is? It's the loss of their presence here with them. And I was reminded after our last service that it could be years that go by and that's, that, that sting doesn't go quickly. There'll still be times you want to pick up the phone, and, but their presence, they're not here anymore. That's the pain that he's walking through. That's the grief that's filling his heart and others that have suffered that same kind of loss. I say that to you today because my prayer is this, that God would bring us to a place together, that we would long for his presence like that, that we would recognize the absence of his presence like that, that we'd long to want to remain in his presence all the days of our life, and be exactly where he would have us. So would you make that your prayer with me this morning? Can we take that journey in God's word together this morning? Let's do this right here. As, as you're preparing for, to hear God's word, would you just take your hand and place it right over your heart? Say, dear Lord, make me more aware of your presence. Help my heart to long for your presence like never before. That, Lord, I will be satisfied by nothing else but your presence in my life. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. Lord, I thank you that you are the living word. We now come to you, Lord God. We ask you, Lord God, to take what is about to be shared, Lord God. Would it be open, Lord God? Would it take root in our hearts, Lord God? And with the prayer that we've prayed collectively, be yes and amen. Would it become a reality in our lives today? Would it change and transform us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Amen. We just sang some songs this morning about the power of God's presence. And we can sing them. They make great lyrics, but I want you to know something today. There's nothing like experiencing his presence. There's nothing like the promise of that and, and to truly understand that. And so today we're going to take a journey in God's word um, to understand what that means and to even experience that together uh, here today and moving forward in our lives. We're in a series of messages entitled History, where we're seeing the red thread, I'm calling it, of Jesus Christ woven through the fabric of the Old Testament. Here's what's so amazing, that Jesus shows up in the Bible so much sooner than we, we could ever imagine. It's before the book of Matthew and the New Testament. In fact, he's there in the very beginning as the Lord is speaking creation into existence. He's there as Abraham is getting ready to, to sacrifice his son. He's there as the children of God are passing through the Red Sea as though on dry ground. He's there. We see these pictures, these glimpses that are pointing us forward to Jesus. And now he's ultimately the one who the Bible speaks of and has been speaking of since the beginning. He's the word made flesh. He's God with us, Emmanuel. There's something I want us to understand about this as we take this journey, because as we get to this portion of Scripture, um, picking up from last week, we saw how Moses and the children of Israel, they, they were um, in slavery, they were set free, they passed through the Red Sea, and they're now moving towards the promise of God. But there's always an issue that we never want to remember in our lives, that somewhere between the promise that God makes and the ultimate fulfillment of it, the payment, the, the actual realization of it, there's often a wilderness experience. Um, sometimes for you, as you're following God, before things get better, they get more challenging. And don't think that's because God has abandoned you, forgotten you, or lost his way. It's because God is going to prove something in the process. He's going he's to determine something inside of you. He's going he's to catalyze something in your spirit so that you're ready to receive what he has prepared for you. You see, we always think about this, that, Lord, you've prepared a place for me. But the question is, am I prepared for that place? Don't go into that place unprepared. Don't approach that place unprepared. And so God's doing something in those experiences but just like the children of Israel, and as you're reading God's word, you're probably scratching your head. You're probably, you know, I'm getting so frustrated with them. Like, come on, you can't see it. He's raining bread from heaven. You can't understand he's your provision. You know, you want to go back to Egypt. You don't understand his power. But guess what? I could be looking in the mirror and saying those same things to myself every single day. So don't be so quick to point it at scripture because it looks humorous. Almost like, oh, how could they miss him? Oh, we miss him every day, don't we? He's there. He's with us in places we could least expect or anticipate. But God's on the move, and he's moving the people. And they get to this place by the time they reach Exodus chapter 19. And they're standing at the foot of Mount Sinai. And it's here that God is ready to make his presence known in an even more special way. He's ready to allow the people to even enter into his presence. See, the Bible says going back in Exodus 13 that as they're going out and they're going into the wilderness, God's leading them by a pillar of fire and by a cloud. He's leading them day and night and he's going ahead of them. But now something is shifting. God says, I now want to make my presence a reality for my people. I want them to experience and see my presence. And so he says, I'm going to visit this mountain. 
the top of Mount Sinai. And when I do that, I want you to tell the people that they better be um, not rush the mountain. They better not step into it without preparing themselves. They need to take a cautious um, way about how they're going to carry themselves. Have them stand back, not to fully enter in or run up into it. And there's something we're learning here because God wants to teach his people something. He wants to teach them how to become a people of his presence, a people that long for his presence, a people that experience his presence, and a people that move with his presence. Sounds familiar. That's God's desire for us too, church, that we would be a people of his presence, that we would move with his presence and we'd long for his presence. So he's teaching this to the children of Israel. See, all that they knew is slavery in Egypt. He now has to reteach them what it means to be the children of God, what it means to depend on his presence and be satisfied in his presence. He said, so you need to tell them that they need to prepare themselves. There's a word that's now introduced here, and it's the word consecration. God says that they need to consecrate themselves. They need to prepare themselves. You know what consecration is? Consecration is preparing yourself for the presence of God. It's preparing yourself to enter into the presence of God. You see, God is a holy God. He's a righteous God. Um, And we have this issue in our hearts and in our lives called sin. It makes us less than that. Um, And therefore, whenever we approach a holy God, and people in this time, if they'd approach him in the wrong way, their heart in the wrong disposition, um, Death was a reality. It was a result of that. It wasn't something to be played around with. It wasn't something to be entered into half-heartedly. But they were to be very aware and very ready to enter into God's presence. So God said, Moses, you come up, but have the people wait. Have them wait. Have them not not approach it and rush the mountain or they'd be put to death. But so Moses obeyed. He, He went up the mountain as the Lord called. He brought those with him that the Lord had instructed. And then the people were supposed to go about that in a different way and prepare themselves to approach. But instead, the Bible says this, that they backed off. They were very satisfied keeping God's presence at an arm's distance, not entering in. I want you to tell you there's a cost that's, that comes with, with keeping God's presence at an arm's distance and not being willing to press in to what God has. So the people stayed back when Moses went up. And here's what I love about God is that he's always making a way. I want you to know, you may think that you are so stuck and you have gone down a trail that you feel so hopeless and so far, but here's what I want you to know. God's making a way back. God has a way. He's making a way where there seems to be no way at all. And although the people won't come up to him in his presence, you know what he decides to do? He says, if you're not going to come up to me, then I'm coming down to you. He said, because I want to dwell with my people. I want them to experience my presence. I want to be near to them. And so by the time we get to this passage, if you open up with me to Exodus chapter 25, Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. Here's what the Lord says to Moses. He says, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. This sanctuary that they're going to construct is called the tabernacle. The tabernacle is the place where God's presence can dwell among his people. So this is what he says in verse 9. According to all that I'm going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just as you shall, and so you shall construct it. So the tabernacle is a place for God's presence to dwell in a special way. And as you go through chapters 25 through 27 of Exodus, you begin to see with painstaking detail, God is mapping the entire thing out down to the colors of the threads that are being used to weave the fabric. He then tells them how every piece of furniture needs to be positioned, how it needs to be created. One of the things that I didn't share in first service, but I will share it with you, is that in there, all the imagery that you're seeing as you read through these chapters, it's actually hearkening back to the Garden of Eden. 
There are specific uh, colors. There are specific pieces. And as they're there, it's meant to remind the people back of the Garden of Eden. Why? Because that was the original place where God dwelled with his people and they were in his presence, uninhibited. Nothing separating them. But if you go back there to the garden, that was how God originally created us. Do you know it's God's longing? It's been his desire that his people would experience his presence from the very beginning. That's been God's plan all along. But there's a problem that came up, and it's called sin. Do you know what sin does? Sin creates a barrier. Sin is what is there to try to cut us off from the presence of God. That was the goal, and that was the result. That when man entered into sin, Sin is doing what's wrong in God's sight. It's being off the mark. Whenever we sinned, what that did was that created a barrier between the people of God and the presence of God. So we now could not enter into God's presence because of our sinfulness in the way we once could. And so humanity lived with that, that barrier. In fact, in the Bible, in, in Genesis, it says they're cast out of the presence of God. To be cast out, it means that they, they can't be in the garden anymore. It's just that God didn't want them in his, in his garden anymore to enjoy all that. No, it's because that's about his presence. You can't be in my presence the way you once were. Sin has become a barrier. Do you know what the enemy loves to use sin to do is separate you from the presence of God. That's his goal. That's the aim from the very beginning. It was to drive a wedge between the people of God and the presence of God. Because he knows something. He knows in God's presence there's healing. He knows in God's presence there's restoration. In God's presence there's every blessing that we have in Christ. It's in God's presence that there is transformation. And so the enemy's goal is to drive that wedge. The aim of sin is to separate you and me from the presence of God. And when we settle for sin, we're settling for less. We're settling to move out of the presence of God to not be in the presence of God in the same way. So this is a problem that the people had, but God was making a way. God made a promise to Abraham that one day there all the nations would be blessed through him. That blessing would be a reestablishment of the people being able to be in the presence of God. That's why God promised them a new land. The promised land wasn't just about a really nice place for them to go. It was about them being back closer, closer to the presence of God than they had ever been before. God was making a way for his people to get back into his presence. Here in Exodus chapter 25, we see God beginning to spell it out. He said, I'm making a way. It's going to be called the tabernacle. And my presence is going to be now with my people. I'm going to dwell among them. And when I move, I want the people to move with me. And as I move and my presence moves, and I want them to, to tear down that tabernacle and build it back up where my presence rests and where I choose to make my presence known. And so the Lord would move in that way, and the people were to construct the tabernacle according to all those dimensions. In Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 9, if you want to turn there in your Bible or note this down so that you can read through it as well later, I want to read a section of Scripture to you that will describe in, in great detail what we see inside of this tabernacle. See, this tabernacle was a place that was made up of two rooms, and I want us to understand this together. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 9. Verses 1 through 5, it says, The first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship in a place of worship here on earth. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. The first room, there was a lampstand, a table, the sacred loaves of bread on the table, and that room was called the holy place. Let's stop right there. This was the first room in the tabernacle. It's in this outer room, they would call it, that the priests could go in. 
and the people of God that would come to facilitate worship. They'd go in and out regularly. They'd perform their duties of worship, and it's there that they'd be able to get close to the presence of God. Now, I'm using that in a, in a different in, in, in that word close very specifically because they weren't in the presence of God yet. Because in that outer room, they were able to just get so far. But then the Lord required that a curtain would be put up, a veil would be placed. And it would be on the other side of that that would be the most holy place. So two rooms in this tabernacle, the holy place and the most holy place. And so let's understand what was going on inside the most holy place. It says in verse 3 of Hebrews 9, Then there was the curtain, and behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. In that room, there was the gold altar of incense. There was a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant. It was covered in gold on all its sides. Inside the Ark were the jar, a gold jar containing manna. The manna God was feeding them with in the the wilderness. Aaron's staff that had sprouted leaves or that had budded and the stone tablets of the covenant. And above the ark were the cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretched over the ark's cover, the place of atonement. Atonement means to pay the penalty, to pay the price for sin. And so there was a day that would come, on this one day when atonement could be made. And the high priest, the Bible says, could enter into that most holy place only once a year, on one day. And he could never come without blood. And he could never come without a a consecrated heart in life. Because if he entered into that place, he was literally entering into the presence of God. And if he entered into the presence of God in the wrong way, do you know what would happen? He would die in the presence of God. It wasn't because God was punishing him or hurting him. It's this, that his sinfulness couldn't stand in the presence of God. He couldn't live in the presence of God when he confronted God's holiness, God's power in his presence. And so they would get into a tradition of literally tying a rope around the high priest's waist. So they'd go in, and there are stories about how the priest would literally die when encountering the presence of God, and he'd be pulled out of the most holy place. This was very serious. This was a very important moment because he was going in there to make atonement, to pay a penalty for the sins of the people. Their hearts were full of sin. They were far from God. And it was on this way that God was establishing his way of having relationship and having his presence be among his people. You see, I think we read through the Old Testament and we we miss how God is represented in the Old Testament because we don't understand his heart behind all the actions we see. All we see is the Ten Commandments and then the 52 laws that accompany them and all these do's, all these don'ts, all these ways that they have to jump through all these hoops just to make God happy. No, it's not about that. It's God's furious longing to be with his people and have a people for himself. For him to be in intimate relationship with them. But the problem was that their sin was continually separating them from him. And this was his way of dealing with that. This was his way of continuing to keep relationship with his people. Although their hearts were continually running from him. So God made this way. To have relationship. Because it's his longing to dwell among his people. That he wants to be there. And he wants to be among his people. He wants to dwell with them for his presence to be made known for them. So the tabernacle was basically like a portable Garden of Eden for the people of God. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way, but it's where God's presence was. They could step into that place, and it'd be like they're back in a place where they could be in God's presence again and be around God's presence. The tabernacle was ultimately, I would say, the original GPS, God's positioning system. That joke didn't land in first service. I figured I'd try it just to see. 
There you have it. That one was free. Um, it was the place where God was. You wanted to know where God's presence was made known? You'd look no further than the tabernacle. And literally, you'd see there. You'd see the pillar. You'd see the cloud. You'd see God's presence resting there among his people. But here's what happens. The people can become familiar with his presence. They can come to a place where before long, they're not longing for him and for his presence. And they're looking to something else. There's something tragic that takes place. I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 32 right now. Because there's a warning that comes to us from the word of God about us becoming too complacent for us not longing for his presence. Looking to other things other than his presence. Moses is up on the mountain for 40 days. He's meeting with the Lord. He's hearing the word of God from the Lord, meeting with him to carry down to the people and deliver to them. And as he's up there, he's up there for 40 days, and the people, their eyes begin to wander and their hearts begin to wander. And so they begin to call out to Aaron, and they want to make a change. They want to make a big change in the land. Look what it says in Exodus 32, verse 1. It says, Now the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. The people assembled about Aaron, and they said to him, Come, let us make a God who will go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So this is what they basically say to Aaron. Hey, Aaron, make us a new God. We don't know what happened to Moses and his God. Uh, they're, they're gone. So let's just make our own God, and then they'll be the ones that we're going to begin to worship. And so Aaron obeys the people. He gives in to the pressure. Aaron, who had seen all of God's miraculous power rescue them from Egypt, he turns. He comes up with an idea. Verse 3, he it says, all the people tore off their gold rings, which were in their ears. They brought them all to Aaron. He took all the gold from their hands. He fashioned it with a graving tool, and he made it into a molten calf. A golden calf was made, and then they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They made an idol. After all that the God had brought them through, they made an idol. After everything God had done and how much goodness he had shown to them, God's delay, or seeming delay, their impatience caused them to turn to an idol. When God wasn't moving and their leader wasn't acting the way they were expecting and in the timing they wanted, they turned to an idol. And they said, we now bow down to this. We now follow this. I want to tell you that thousands of years have passed, church, but the same story keeps replaying. We keep turning to idols. We keep becoming complacent. We keep settling for less than God's best for us. We keep allowing ourselves to be distracted by idols. I said it before, and I'll say it again, that the human heart is an idol-making factory. We just desire um, everything in, in, in humanity is to make an idol. That's why God said, don't create any image before me. Don't make an idol before me. It's why he had to say that as the second commandment he makes is, I, I, I'm the Lord and don't do this. Don't make any idols. And you say, well, I don't do that. I don't have a wood shop in the back that I'm making all these, you know, poles and all these different things. and car No, you don't have to because your heart has the ability to make anything an idol. Oh, I don't know if you heard me today. Your heart has the ability to turn anything into an idol. Some of you, there's a relationship, it's actually an idol. You don't want to admit it, but it is. Some of you, you have things in your life, the habits you are, you are fostering in your life, they become idols to you. 
There's some of you that there are idols, there are altars that you are bowing down to with your life. They're the things that have most of your attention and all of your affection. They're the things that your heart is longing for more than God. You're longing for that or them or whatever that is. You're longing for the approval of somebody else. You've literally don't realize it, but you have continually adjusting and conforming your life to fit somebody else's idea of who you should be. And it's not God. You know what it means? That, that's an idol. You're worshiping. You don't know. A worship is the way you're adjusting your lifestyle to come in conformity with their will, their heart, their desire. That's an idol. They're creating an idol. They're bowing down to it. They're saying, now you lead us. You lead us out of here. I, I, I want you to catch this definition of, of what idolatry really comes from. Here's, here's what I believe, that idolatry is the result of being satisfied with anything less than the presence of God. Idolatry is the result of you and I, in the depths of our heart, becoming satisfied with anything less than the presence of God. I want you to know something today, that we can so often exchange the presence of God for an idol. We can exchange the presence of God for something less, something that will satisfy us temporarily. And I want you to know something. If you, sa- if you are satisfied in that and not in the presence of God, then there might be an idol that's waiting right there for you. And it might be distracting you from the presence of God. There's some of us we say, man, I'd love to be in God's presence more, but man, I got that show or that thing or that relationship or whatever it is, and that's where my, all my attention, that's where all my focus is going. Don't become more satisfied with anything in this world more than the presence of God. And we learn this because here's what happens. Moses is in the presence of God. All the people become blinded. They become blinded by their idols. Some of you are in such denial. We're in such denial. I'll say we, that there are no idols today. But it's just because we're so blind to them, we can't even see them. They become such a part of us. I feel like this phone is burning in my pocket right now as I talk. You know why? Come on, somebody, you feel it too. There's idols. There's things that just are distracting us or keeping us from the presence of God. And so Moses comes down from the mountain. He comes down. Joshua's with him. Catch that because in a few weeks that's going to that's be very significant. Joshua's with him. And as he comes down, Joshua's like, hey, I hear a sound. What is that sound I hear? Moses said, it's not the sound of war. It's not the sound of singing. It's not the sound of any of these things. It's the sound of celebrating. It's the sound of worship. And he gets down there and he sees the people of God are worshiping a golden calf that they formed in their eyes. And, and Moses' response isn't like, wow, that makes sense, like everyone else is doing. I mean, you don't hear anyone putting up any fight against this. They just go right along with it. And this isn't like 20 people. This is over a million people, almost 2 million people that are doing this. Just throughout the children of Israel, they're like, yeah, this is great. Let's all give in to this. But there's something that happens when you're in the presence of God like Moses was. When you come down out of the presence of God, you recognize the idol for what it is. You recognize just how, how worthless it really is. You recognize that it will never, ever, ever satisfy you like the presence of God. So Moses, he takes action against it. He grounds it up. He puts it actually in their water, and he makes them all drink it. I mean, that's crazy. He's like, drink that. This is what you do. Drink it. Drink judgment on yourselves because of what you've done. Take, God takes that so seriously. God takes sin seriously. He takes idolatry seriously. And the thing that I think would, would break the heart of God is that 
people are so much more satisfied in sin and idolatry than they are in his presence. But there's something so different here when we come to Moses. There's something so different about this man who pressed into the presence of God. Because one chapter later, turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. Let's just turn there for a moment because we see something completely different. We see this example of hearts that are running away from God, of, of hearts that are bowing down to idols, of sin that's breaking into the camp and breaking into the hearts of man. People being satisfied with less than God's presence. But then we see Moses. And I believe we're given this as a picture of what God's heart is for us today. It says this in verse 9 of Exodus chapter 33, because there's a tent called a tent of meeting that's now set up outside the camp. And it was a place if anyone wanted to inquire of the Lord, but something special happened when Moses went into that tent. It says, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and they worshiped at the entrance of their own tents. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent. Pastor Rick, come on up. We see here in this moment a picture of intimacy, a picture of God being with his people and being with Moses and seeing him face to face as one sees a friend and speaks to a friend. In fact, we see this in the original language I learned this week. It's not face to face, it's faces to faces. You know, you and I, we have a lot of different faces, right? People sitting closest to you knew you best. They knew you have a lot of faces. Here's what you know. It's in God's presence you could be yourself. You could be completely vulnerable. If you're hurting today, you could be open in his presence. Moses got to share this special, special experience, a special time in the presence of God that was like nothing the people had ever seen before. In fact, they would just stand at their tent door and worship because they just recognized that God's presence was doing something so special. And there was someone that could experience his presence in that way. I'm so thankful that God didn't leave it there as just a story that we could look to and long for. But when the fullness of time had come, God realized and he longed so desperately that we could experience his presence again. That the Son of God, he sent his only Son to step down into our world, into our brokenness, into our story. His name is Jesus, but he was the Word of God. And here's what it says in John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who's come from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's what I love about that verse. That word there, it says, he made his dwelling among us. You know what that word is? It says he tabernacled among us. The tabernacle, the place of God's dwelling, of his presence. It says Jesus has come. Jesus has come as the one who is God with us. And where Jesus went, the presence of God moved with him. They saw the glory the same way that they saw the glory in the wilderness. They saw God's presence manifested. They see the glory 
of Jesus. They see the presence of God everywhere that he goes. You know what's even more amazing? Is that Jesus shows up and he now is, it says the tabernacle. He's the one dwelling. He's the presence of God among the people of God. And as he's there, think about what's in the most holy place of the tabernacle. Think about this. You ready? Inside the Ark of the Covenant. What did I say there was? There were three things. There were the stone tablets. There was the rod that had budded. And there was the manna. The manna was their provision. It was what kept them alive. The rod was the very thing that led them, that parted the seas. And the word of God, God's law, God's truth, the way, the truth, the life. Right there, the presence of God in the beginning. Jesus came. What did he say? He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one enters his presence but through me. The Bible says in Hebrews 9:11 that Jesus went through a more and greater tabernacle. He didn't go through in the blood of a goat or a lamb or a bull. He came by his own blood and he made a way where there was no way. And something so powerful happened because of that. When Jesus came and when he died on the cross, on that moment, something took place that shook the earth. Look what it says in Matthew's gospel, chapter 27. It says when Jesus, he's on the cross, he cried out in a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. And at that very moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks were split apart. Do you know what happened? That the very curtain that we said separated the holy place from the most holy place. The very thing that would keep people from the presence of God, that would hold them back, it was torn in two. The presence of God is now made a reality for his people again. And what that means, what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us, church? You know what it means? It means there's no limit to how much of his presence we can experience. We don't have to wait for Sunday. We don't have to wait for one day a year. We don't have to wait for Easter. We don't have to wait for Pentecost. That every day we can have as much of his presence as He as we would want. That we could press in and have all of him. God says there's no limit. There's no ceiling to what I can do now. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard. What I have in store, what I can accomplish immeasurably more. To all who will receive me, to all who will press in, to all who will become a people of my presence. And Jesus said it like this. He said, soon I'm going because everywhere Jesus went, the presence of God went. But Jesus said, don't worry, as I go, I'm opening the new and living way. And you know what's coming down? As I give up my spirit, the Holy Spirit's going to fall. He says he's going to lead you into all truth. And now we have the presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit here in us, among us, and leading us and guiding us. I want you to know some of you. There's no ceiling. There's no limit to how much of God's presence you can experience. Will you press into him? Will you shake off distractions? Will you cast down idols? Will you allow yourself to turn from sin and say, Lord, I want more of your presence. I'm not going to be satisfied with anything less. Come on, would you stand to your feet with me this morning? God's word is clear. And his word is truth. And today, what the children of Israel longed for in the wilderness, to see someone who could come and be in the presence of God, 
We don't have to jump through any hoops today. There's nothing that separates you. No one will stop you today. If you leave here and you say, I'm going to come and get into the presence of God at this altar, no one's going to stop you. No, no, no. You can only go this far and no further. No, we can access God's presence right where we are, right here in this house. And here's what he said. Where two or more are gathered, I am with you. I am here. God is here with us. He longs to be in our presence. He longs for us to live in his presence. So what does that look like for you today? It means shake off the complacency. Step out of your comfort zone. Some of you, you've mistaken his provision for his presence. And some of you are so satisfied with the provision that you've you've forgotten about his presence. Jesus said this in John chapter 6. You see, he fed a bunch of people, thousands of people, and they came and they looked really excited. Then Jesus said to them, he said, you're not here to be in my presence. You're just here for my provision. You're not here to be in my presence. You're here because you think I'm just going to do something for you. I'm not here to fill your bellies. I'm here to be with you. That's what Jesus said. I'm here to be with you. And it's what separated the disciples from the crowds and the fans. It's what separated the followers from those who were just there for me. I want you to know something today. You can come here. You can enjoy the word of God. You can come here. You can pray. And I believe God will move in your life. But I want you to know if that's where it ends for you, you're missing out on his presence. That is the provision. His presence is the provision. Don't get mistaken. Don't think it's about stuff. Don't think it's about anything else. Just know this. Whether you have a lot or a little, his presence can satisfy you. Whether you're here and you feel like life is going great, I want you to know something. Don't look too, too closely at that. Look to his presence. And today, if you feel like every need is, crowd, is crowded up around you, I want you to know if you have his presence, you have everything you need. He's your provision today. His presence is your provision today. But will you press into it? Will you hold him at an arm's length or will you press in and say, God, if there's no ceiling, if pastor, what he said, I started to talk to our pastor. Is this true that we can really have as much of God's presence as we want? It's like, yes, that's the whole point of the veil being torn, that God's presence is now among his people. God's not holding anything back from us, church. It's on us when we come, when we press in, when we lean in, when we respond to his presence. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to take these last five minutes of our time together. And I want to just open these altars. I want to open every, every place in this sanctuary. I want this to be a place where God's presence is going to dwell in a special way today. So if there are things that God's convicting you in your heart of right now, I want you to begin to cast those things aside. Begin to repent of them. Say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me right now, Lord God. Lord God, I separate myself from those things and I walk away from them. And Lord, I want more of your presence. Today, if that's you and you say, you know, I just need to experience God's presence again. We're going to have a time right now just to be in his presence. Well, what are we going to do? It's not about doing anything. It's about being in his presence. So come on up to these altars if that's you. Anyone here that you know you need more of his presence in your life, just step out of your seats and let's flood these altars. Let's kneel at our seats. Let's press in right now as we worship God. And let's pray, Lord, let me experience more of your presence today in Jesus' name. We hope you have been challenged and blessed by this message. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com.